Hi, Jemena. Hi, Emma. House thing. No, I'm not even going to ask, actually. Yeah, uh, we, all, we all know <laughs> how things are for everyone, basically, right now. The base level of how things are is understood. <laughs> yeah, for people in the future, we're recording this at the beginning of May 2020, and it's May 2020, and that's really all you need so to all you know. know. Yeah, this will one day be a record of a bizarre and terrible time. I wonder if some some PhD student two years in the future will collect audio recordings of people desperately trying to keep themselves alive during the quarantines <laughs> and analyse all of the, like, everyone's emotional <laughs> state. <laughs> God, I hope not. <laughs> It'll be just too depressing to do, I think. <laughs> Would not be, not be a good time for anyone. They no, but we're here. We're still all all right. Still keeping on, keeping on. Yeah. We're still answering questions about history because history is still good. History is still good and still there. And that's nice. Yeah. And also, I do think times like this are quite good for history. I just, just earlier today, found a picture of two women walking down the street. And I, I don't know, they lo- it looks Londonish. Who can say? During the Spanish flu, which is the nearest comparison that we have for the clusterfuck we're in right now and the way they have styled masks with their hats is just inspirational oh that's <laughs> they very look cool out, they look incredible i love it i'm, I'm a bit impressed by the ingenuity of people fashioning masks like yeah it's yeah. very good i managed to make one with some fabric i found at the bottom of my knitting bag that i don't remember ever buying mm-hmm. and a sewing kit that i must have stolen from a hotel at some point oh nice handy yeah and i watched the great british sewing bee while i was doing it for inspiration and then they made like oh some palazzo pants in two hours and i stabbed my finger <laughs> <laughs> but it was the thought that counts, the thought that counts. <laughs> but anyway we're here we're emma and janina yeah and one day we'll see the outdoors again but before that we're going to talk about a thing that you're definitely not allowed to do right now actually thinking about it which is wrestling absolutely not unless you are quarantined uh, you are a wrestler who is quarantined with another wrestler which is true of a couple of our friends so yes they yes those two can wrestle each other as much as they like yeah and we wish them joy of it although i wouldn't recommend it because they're they live in quite a small flat <laughs> yeah i wouldn't want them to be knocking over plants and things yeah. or doing like crazy throws but other than that no one else can be doing it right no. now and we're going to be talking about the brief history of wrestling which is kind of wild to look into because it's so i mean all history is like this i guess but there's like such a fragmentation between wrestling as a sport which is also entertainment yeah. because i don't know why else anyone does it it's it's, uh, (laughs) they're just like touching each other like like wrestling as in i am going to step into the ring with someone and try to pin him on the ground or her on the ground or them on the ground uh for you know an olympic medal or something and then there is professional wrestling which is a great vaudevillian act of intense entertainment and performance art which is yeah they both there, there's a point in history where they were both the same thing and then they just aren't anymore and I find that really fascinating. Also, I've been thinking a lot about fighting, like specific forms of fighting in general, which seems to me like a massive <laughs> contradiction in terms because the point of fighting is to try and beat someone else at it, at the yeah. fight. Presumably, I mean, I guess in its original form because you know, they are dangerous to you and you would like to protect yourself or because, you know, you want to hurt them and best them. So the best way to do that is to do moves on them that they don't know so that they don't know how to counter them. But then, and I think that's, that's how it all starts, right? But then for some reason, everyone is like, oh, we've developed a new form with rules that everyone knows and you must always use these rules to do the fight. And I'm like, surely the best way to win the fight is to not do the rules and to do something different because the other person won't know how to cope with it. Well, now you see this is the difference between a fight where you're like, I'm really mad at you and I'm going to fight you. Yeah. And a sport where like, I don't particularly have any feelings about you and potentially we go on quite well and go to the pub outside of this, but I am going to fight you. This is the thing because <laughs> why it is back, because why, why? 
I tell you, it's because human beings are inherently very competitive. <laughs> have you ever read Octavia Butler's Dawn? I have not. Oh, this is one of those books that like really had a massive impact on me and like my worldview about people. <laughs> um, and it's about aliens. There's a nuclear war, and then almost all of humanity is wiped out. But then some aliens come and pick up some like specimens of leftover humanity in order to train them up to be better at being humans, basically, mm-hmm. or better at being conscious beings. And they say to the main character that like look the problem with humans is that you're both intelligent and hierarchical mm-hmm. and if you were just hierarchical like dogs or whatever then it would be all right because you wouldn't really mind where you were in the hierarchy and if you were just intelligent and not hierarchical then it would be fine because you could like have egalitarianism but because you're both you're always gonna fuck up <laughs> i mean <yeah. laughs> Um, And this is what this is. It's like, you can't just have a thing. You can't have like a man who is strong and then another man who is strong. It's vitally important, apparently, to like the human, like monkey brain that you do some kind of competition where you decide who is the strongest of the men. But only according to specific rules. And if you break them, then even if you are the strongest, you're not the strongest because you broke the rules. Yeah. Exactly. Also, Um, when it comes specifically to wrestling, it just takes on a new texture of being just highly entertaining to me because it is the most homoerotic thing in the world. (laughs) Yes, which is incidentally why quite a lot of the rules were introduced into modern wrestling. So you can't be in the middle of wrestling and accidentally have sex, is that? Yeah, Mm. we'll get to that later, but partly... Some of the rules were literally invented so because it was considered to be slightly too homoerotic for the English. <laughs> Man, the English approves. No wonder D.H. Lawrence got out. Or folk wrestling specifically. Mm-hmm. But wrestling as a thing turns out is the oldest sport in the world. Yeah, because it turns um, out if you can't do much else, you can, like, grapple someone. You can't grapple. And it is near universal to all human cultures because if you can't do anything else... You can, at least if you haven't got a tennis racket, you can at least grapple. And I feel like even if we'd invented other things, we like there's no way you could get ahead of wrestling because literally toddlers do it. <laughs> yeah, they do. And monkeys. And monkeys. Like, and uh, I mean, I guess kind of dogs do, do a little bit as well. They use, like play they fighting. use their mouths. Yeah, they do. But monkeys will, like, wrestle and then hold each other down. Mm. But the idea of, like, a lot of wrestling moves and stuff that you would... is recognisably, like, wrestling or belt wrestling goes back to, like, the earliest human cultures. Mm. So, like, 3000 BC, you have stuff in Sumeria. There's, like, tokens and these weird statues of people... I put it in the little document. They've I don't know why they've got a pot on their head, but they're clearly like belt wrestling. Mm-hmm. So where you try to you can only really touch the other person's belt and then you have to try to wrestle them to the ground. And then there's these tombs from the Middle Kingdom, Egypt, at Ben Hassan, there's a guy called Baket the Third, who was treasurer to the king of Lower Egypt. Not Upper Egypt, don't know why. <laughs> because the Middle Kingdom is supposed to be a time of unified Egypt. But anyway, <laughs> who for some reason decided that what he wanted painted on the inside of his tomb was 406 positions of wrestling pairs. Yeah, I mean, normal. Which I actually suspect is what Will and Sophia will have painted on their teams. Absolutely. But, uh, <laughs> and if they don't, I'll be disappointed. <laughs> uh, so he obviously really liked it, but when you look at them, and they're very clearly, like, preserved, and they've got colour and everything, we'll put all of these on the Kofi page, then you can see, like, that the wrestling holds are recognisably... Like, there's nothing weird about it. They've still mm. got still two people with two arms, two legs, and they are trying to hook up one leg around somebody else's leg and throw them to the ground. Yeah. And then in India, there's been... So classical Indian wrestling has four different types, two of which sound genuinely terrifying. <laughs> because, which is... So it's been believed to be around for about 5,000 years, but it was first attested in writing about 700 BC. But they have four different types. One's called Hanumati, which is about technical superiority. So you like you mm-hmm. fight and whoever does the best like moves. Who has had like the neatest foot placement. In. Exactly, that kind of thing. So love- the dressage of wrestling. The dressage of Indian wrestling. Then you have Jambavanti, uh, where you, mm-hmm. which is like um, kind of Greco-Roman, like modern Greco-Roman wrestling, where you have to like hold the person down for a count of however much. Mm-hmm. 
then it gets scary. Like, it escalates uh-huh. quite significantly. Then you get <laughs> Jarasandi, which aims to make break as many of your lim- opponent's limbs as possible. <laughs> That's not okay. <laughs> Just try to break as much as you possibly can with wrestling moves. And then Bimaseni, which was described in the article I read as being defined as sheer strength, which scares me. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it sounds genuinely frightening. But That sounds, yeah, very, uh, very horrible. I enjoy the way that it just escalates massively. Yeah, like very sharply. That t- just takes a turn. It does. Especially as, like, all of the, like, Iranian wrestling and sumo wrestling and Chinese Shao Jiao wrestling and all, it's all kind of like you just have to throw your opponent to the ground yeah uh, and sometimes you have to hold them there and they're like nah fuck it break a limb break three there's this bit in there there's um so you know there's the TV show Glow the Netflix series yeah. which is about women's wrestling in the 80s in America and it's very very good and I love it a lot but there's also a documentary about the league that that show is based on which is also I think just called Glow because the real life league was called Glow. Okay. And it it's a very good documentary. I think it it definitely was on Netflix around the time when the TV series originally started. I think it might still be there. I'm not sure. But there's this one moment because wrestling, even the performance art version of wrestling, is really dangerous. Like people are doing insane things with their bodies and flinging them around. And and if you don't hit your choreography perfectly, then it can go very badly wrong. And it does at one point for one of the women in this documentary, she just breaks, I think, her arm really dramatically. And it is so, it is like so horrible to watch. And it's just in this documentary because yeah. a broadcast TV show. It happened live on air. <laughs> and it's so horrifying. The idea of that sport being related to something where people did that on purpose is wild. I do not like that at all. <laughs> that is, no. I'm, I've gone all squeamish. Yeah, and the, but they, they like that. Yeah, apparently. Well, so, some of them like that anyway. Yeah. Yeah, so... That's terrifying. But basically, wrestling as a, like, naked men or half-dressed men banging into each other has existed for as long as people have stood up. And there are, like, there are accounts that suggest, like, there have has always been this idea of a certain degree of, I don't know what the word is, like, um, like there are times when wrestling is clearly a sacred thing, you know? Like, yes. it's, it's biblical, the story of Jacob wrestling with God or with um, God's angel. Yeah. Whichever interpretation you choose to believe is, like, this big deal. Which, if you don't know the story, it happens in Genesis. Um, he, Jacob, who is, you know, an important Old Testament man in Genesis, wrestles God all night and then won't let him go until he gives him a blessing. And it's this weird, a, a very one different of the relationship. Stories. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's, it becomes a sacred It is a sacred act. thing. And it is mm. very much like one, the first, like the oldest piece of Western literature is the Epic of Gilgamesh. In that Enkidu, who is a kind of golem kind of figure, and uh, Gilgamesh, who is the king, wrestle repeatedly in order to kind of decide who is dominant. So there's a bit where Gilgamesh has to wrestle Enkidu and be him in order to prove that he is really the, has the kind of moral right to be the king mm-hmm. um, and things like that. So there's yeah. lots of that. And there's the story from like the Turkish tradition where um, this is an, I think, around the 12th century, 12th or 13th century, where the armies of the Ottoman Empire were resting and they started a wrestling competition for fun and the two best wrestlers couldn't best each other and also wouldn't give up. So they ended up wrestling through the night and they were found dead still in each other's arms the next morning. Man. And that site became... And there have been wrestling matches since then till now. They still go on in Turkey in honour of these two men who wrestled... Wrestled so to death. long that not they didn't wrestle each other to death. They just wrestled for so long that they died. Which what? Is, which is very mean. A you know? waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> just like I can't beat you, but I'm fucked if I'm gonna give up. I guess I'll just die. <laughs> yeah, wiggling around on the floor like that. Yeah, yeah. And then there's obviously classical Greek wrestling, which is I think the wrestling that everybody thinks of if you say ancient wrestling. They think of Greeks. Yeah. Oiled up and wriggling around. Oiled up and naked. Mm, Ancient Greek wrestling actually has very specific rules, though, and it's not that much, like, like wrestling Mm -hmm. is called parlay, 
is like you just have to try and get your opponents back on the ground basically yeah and so there's considerably less wriggling around on the floor because once they're on the floor then they've fallen then you you don't need to be down there with them but then they also had a thing called prankration which is much more of the described as a cross between wrestling and boxing but it's basically like cage fighting <laughs> like where you can do almost anything as long as you don't go for the eyes or the balls and then you just need to hurt your opponent so badly that they until they surrender mm-hmm. so then it doesn't matter how long they're down for until they raise a hand and surrender then that's where you get that story that we were talking about the other week that's in greg jenner's podcast from our hitchion of philegia sure and he was in a lock and his opponent had them in a lock, his thighs around the guy's throat or whatever. A Hitchian dislocated his ankle in the process of dying. But his opponent, because he surrendered <laughs> when his ankle was dislocated and before anyone noticed that his opponent had died, he was declared to have lost because the other guy didn't surrender. Sure. Great. Um, so you, um, you could, that is, uh, but that's pancreton, not wrestling. Wrestling is just knocking people over. Mm-hmm. I did find a real good wrestler. Yeah. Do you want to hear my real good wrestler? Obviously, yes, please. So there was a guy called Milo of Croton who won seven times at Olympia in the sixth century. And he was so fierce that no one would face him, which meant <laughs> that he just kept winning unopposed like nobody would go in the ring so they just kept giving him the the medals <laughs> or the tripods yeah um but there is this comes from pausanias who is like he's from much much later he's from second century ad so what he's mm-hmm. describing is classical athens 800 years before him sure um but what he did was he went on a trip to olympia which is a holy site as well at the time that hadrian was rebuilding it so if you go to olympia now then you see a roman theme park version of olympia um Mm. which is fun because i've been there a couple of times and the first time i went there i was 17 and i was on a school trip and we were dickheads because we were teenagers Mm -hmm. Um, and we were there at the same time as a tour group off a cruise ship and people keep going oh my god look at this amazing greek arch and we were like no such thing as a greek arch (laughs) which there isn't (laughs) just the nerdiest assholes just the nerdiest assholes have been like, there's no such thing as a Greek arch. Actually, I think you'll find all this is Roman. Can't you see that those little bricks are Roman? God, I can't believe you don't even know that. <laughs> <laughs> Twats. Yeah. <laughs> but but basically, at the, at the same time that Hadrian was there, Pausanias was there. And what they had, they still had all of the statues and of the winners from the, what was still, then even for them, the kind of fairly ancient past. Mm. So he went part long and wrote down all of the inscriptions, which is useful for us because they've all gone now, but we still have Pausanias' versions of the inscriptions. That's handy. It is. Good work, Pausanias. And they like to write down quite long descriptions of people. So there's a guy who's called Icus of Epidurus. Mm-hmm. who got killed during a boxing match by Cleomedes. And then Cleomedes, you're not supposed to kill people during that kind of match, like during mm-hmm. an actual wrestling match. So they didn't give him the prize because he had broken the rules, like you're not supposed to kill people. Sure. So he went mad with grief and attacked a school and pulled down the pillar which held Pop the roof and killed 60 children. It seems a little bit of an overreaction. <laughs> it is. Um, and that's like after he got home as well. Like he didn't do it there because there's no schools in Olympia, obviously. So he just like stewed the whole way home until yeah. he was in such a rage that he just did a mass murder. Um, so then obviously the citizens were furious and chased him around, pelting him with stones. So he went into a sanctuary of Athena and got inside a chest to hide from them. The people ran in and tried to open the chest, but they couldn't open it because like, they assumed he was holding it down from the inside. Eventually, they smashed the chest open and he had disappeared. Oh, my God. Yeah. What happened to him? Well, they sent an envoy to Delphi, to the Pythia at Delphi, to say what had happened, and he said, oh, he'd been assumed into heaven. <laughs> <laughs> so sure. no one knows. Seems legit. Yeah. <laughs> Which I take, I have to say, as Athena reproving of the school attack, like... 
the yeah, OG and then, school like, shooting. Yeah. Like, I'll save you from this very just, uh, you know, Yeah, from course. all these people who are mad that you killed their children because you killed somebody else and you're mad about it. Like, God. I mean, to be fair, gods, the, the, the gods be... The Greek gods are terrible. Yeah, terrible, terrible nightmare divas. And they're bad To people. a man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to a man, absolutely terrifying. That's why I like the Madeleine Miller books so much. It's because they're so... Um, yeah. The gods are terrifying and horrible in them. Yeah. And I highly recommend it. All right, I've got one more Greek one. All right. Because this is a good one. So this is a guy called Milo, who is a famous strongman. Mm-hmm. And like kind of precursor to what became like where modern wrestling came from as in he would do like sideshow tricks to get by when he wasn't you know competing at the olympics mm-hmm. or at the other games so he had this trick where he would hold a pomegranate really hard and uh-huh. nobody would be able to get it out of his hand but also he wouldn't squish the pomegranate that is pretty impressive. And he had another one where he would tie a bit of rope around his head and then he would, like, squeeze his head really hard so that his, like, four, like veins would bulge out and then he would break the cord with just the power of his forehead. <laughs> that is... There are no muscles in your forehead. No, but he had just very powerful veins. <laughs> and then he had another one where he would hold his hand in a really specific way... Uh, like so basically he would hold like his hand out at a right angle facing forwards from him mm-hmm. um with his li- like hand flat so the little finger is at the bottom and then the thumb is pointing upwards uh-huh. and then he would ask people to push his little finger backwards and nobody would be able to do it that's very impressive and my favorite one is he would stand on a greased quoit what's a quoit a quoit is um you know that game where you throw rings over a peg yes the rings are called quoits okay sure so he would stand on a greased ring presumably mm-hmm. made of wood <laughs> <laughs> um and the people would try and push him off it and no one could push him off it wow what a guy and he died by he came across a tree that had been split in half with wedges Mm-hmm. And he would decide he was obviously a massive fucking show off. So he decided that he would try to prove that he could like put, hold the tree apart. Unfortunately, he could not hold the tree apart, and he got trapped in the tree. <laughs> <laughs> so like, the tree just kind of closed up on him. Oh no! Uh, <laughs> uh, and wolves ate him. <laughs> Jesus! What way to go? I know. <laughs> That's outrageous. I mean, live as you die. Just absolutely outrageous. I mean, die as you live. I mean, he really did. Um, You can just imagine the moment of like, it's like 127 hours, like the moment where he, that wedge came out and then he was like, oh, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) What am I going to do now? Yeah. Like, (sighs) motherfucker. And then just had to wait there until wolves ate him. That's wild. Yeah. There is definitely a straight line from that to like so the what I could find of early the earliest examples of like where we are now with wrestling modern day yeah. wrestling is France in around the 1830s and my yep. favorite thing about this is the names. So yep. Oh <laughs> this, yeah. This is like basically rough shod working class wrestlers who aren't welcomed into the fancy wrestling elite things so they travel around showing off their talent often at like exhibitions in small towns where they will challenge people to do things in like basically circus like yeah feats so there there are such wrestlers of from france at this time as edward the steel eater oh that's a good one it's a good one uh gustave d'avignon the bone wrecker i do like gustave d'avignon the bone wrecker it's very good i think this one is my favorite Bonnet or Bonnet, I guess. Bonnet, the ox of the low Alps. Of the low Alps. It suggests that there's a one of the other Alps. I know. <laughs> and so they would do things like, ask, yeah, similar, not as specific or oppressive, but just, you know, for 500 francs, you can come and try and knock me down. Uh, yeah. Style or if you knock me down, stuff. you get 500 francs. Yeah. That, but they never do. No, because they're very strong. Very they strong are boys. very strong. The fun thing about that is that kind of wrestling is called Greco-Roman wrestling and still is today and is in the Olympics, but it was developed by a Napoleonic soldier <laughs> called Jean Expreya in 1848. 
and uh, he called it Greco-Roman wrestling because he thought that it would demonstrate the values of antiquity. Man, sure. I mean, mm. yeah. wiggling around on the floor. Knock men down. You don't need to be posh about it. Just knock, knock, See, the, knock the other men to the floor. <laughs> See, I became quite interested in this, these ideas of um, folk wrestling, which is where these all come from, is that European folk wrestling. Mm-hmm. And there's all of these types, which I've never heard of before, of English folk wrestling styles. Mm-hmm. So there's, And they're all slightly different. So it's Cornish wrestling, folk wrestling, and Devon folk wrestling, which are completely different. Mm-hmm. There's the terrifying, when like they're about kind of grappling and pushing your opponent to the ground. And there's Lancashire wrestling, which was known for being fucking terrifying. That tracks. I've been yeah. to Lancashire. <laughs> and it's like considered to be like the super violent rules. And then Cumberland and Westmoreland mm-hmm. wrestling. And like there's all, and Scottish backhold, which I quite like. Mm-hmm. And there's Irish, I think it's called like Chamber and Elbow or something like that. And all of these different types of wrestling, which in kind of the Middle Ages and medieval period, right up until the kind of 17th, 18th century and the kind of industrialization would be held at like midsummer festivals Mm. and people would have wrestling competitions and then Christmas festivals and New Year's festivals and everybody would take all their clothes off and wrestle (laughs) uh, according to these specific rules. And then... All of that was considered... This is where we get considered to be too homoerotic. So a guy called J.G. Chambers, who died at the age of 40 and in that time managed to invent modern wrestling and modern boxing. That's pretty impressive. It's really impressive. (laughs) So he was like a relentless innovator who kind of was a rower mostly himself, um, Mm -hmm. but for some reason had a whole lot of ideas about how sports that involve hitting each other could be better. So he invented (laughs) Queensbury rules in 1867. So he invented like boxing gloves. That's, that was a bad call. That was extremely bad. Significantly worse. You are much less likely (laughs) to be dangerously hurt with bare knuckle boxing than you are with (laughs) with boxing gloves. And then he also invented what is now known as catch as catch can wrestling. That just rolls off the tongue. It doesn't roll off the tongue at all. And I assumed it was a typo the first time I read it. Is this um, where the phrase catch as catch can comes from? Or is he was he it, using the phrase? That is the phrase that he it. is using. I don't know if he invented the phrase, but that is... Um, he was the first to use it to describe it anyway. Um, to describe this form of wrestling. Yeah, and he basically wanted to amalgamate all of these folk wrestling styles to make them less folky and less homoerotic because he didn't like people wriggling around on the ground so much. Mm-hmm. And he didn't like how violent Lancashire wrestling was. <laughs> so he tried to invent this. He, well, he invented this catch or catches catch can, which basically means like catch a hold wherever you can. Mm. So, like, you can go kind of below the waist, which is the main thing. Like, you can go below the waist and you can you can use hooks. And it didn't really take off that much in England originally, but it travelled to the US where it massively took off because it was so popular. Wrestling at that time existed in people's weird barns, and I've got a real good story about that in a minute. <laughs> like, local folk wrestling, but also traveling sideshow wrestling so Mm -hmm. that kind of traveling strongman come and have a go if you think you're hard enough and if you can take down our traveling strongman you know but the traveling strongman then you can win 50 dollars but what that would often (laughs) result in is drunk men coming at you really fucking hard and trying to take your eyes out because they weren't paying attention to the rules and they want to show off for their girlfriend and rah 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 Mm -hmm. but the introduction of catch as catch can had quite loose rules but invented things like arm bars um, and that kind of thing so you can take someone out really quickly as they're running at you mm-hmm. and it looks really cool if you kind of take them out with your arm or like with a leg hook or whatever yeah and is within the rules stops them before they can try to take off your nose sure so then it took off really big there and one of the greatest wrestlers of the time was abraham lincoln of course he was he's already got a great wrestling costume you know yep. 
striking <laughs> hat and beard. You, you can see, you can spot him in the ring from a mile away. Apparently as a young man, now this is according to a book called uh, Pioneers of Professional Wrestling, uh, because he was such a very tall man when mm-hmm. he was younger, he was very popular as a sideshow wrestler and known as one of the frontier's fiercest wrestlers of the 1830s. And there is a story of a tossing aside, uh, like throwing down an opponent with a single move, so mm-hmm. ending him in 10 seconds flat and then screaming at the crowd, come and have a go. If any of you want to try it, come and wet your horns and then kind of <laughs> roaring at them. <laughs> And a famous fight between Lincoln and a guy called Jack Armstrong, who, and all this just sounds so ludicrously made up, but... So do all stories about the (laughs) early presidents. It's true. Jack Armstrong was a member of a gang called the Clary's Grove Boys, Mm -hmm. whose favourite pastime was nailing men into wooden barrels and rolling them down hills. (laughs) Naturally. Naturally. I mean, you know, we've always... This is why television was invented, because... (laughs) Because that was Life all there was, was to do. So boring. <laughs> <laughs> that this is all you had. Yeah. So Jack Armstrong, the Lincoln is kind of very famous in the area as a, a strong man, and Jack Armstrong decides that he's gonna come and have a go. But he is an average height man, and Lincoln is like six foot four, so he can't Armstrong can't really get near him essentially because he's got a much longer reach. So he starts trying to play dirty um, and like go for the knees and hair pulling and eye gouging. So Lincoln just put him down and held him until he was unconscious. <laughs> I mean, that seems fair. Yeah, which is good. I, I'm delighted by the image of Abraham Lincoln, local strongman, in like those pants that they all wear. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Just the one shoulder thing. Yeah. Yeah. The one. And when you look, so like the pioneers of professional wrestling is basically like it's got a little timeline thing. And then it has kind of a timeline biography of loads and loads of 19th and early 20th century. So from about 1840 ish to about 1920, when wrestling changes forever Mm -hmm. of, of their names and their. Um, biographies and where they came from and then their titles and their opponents and all of their you know things and they are all Edward Bibby or Edwin Bibby sorry began his wrestling career in 1872 mm-hmm. all of his famous things and they all are wearing just pants and a massive moustache brilliant it's a very good look it is it is yeah 1860 to like 1920 is the golden days for wrestling as that moving out of being a sideshow thing and becoming a thing that people went to see in theatres. Yeah, so it starts to be, I, th- I can imagine that this was a confused sort of thing because it's it's stopping, it's coming out of being sort of exhibitionist feats of strength and power to being a sport that is played competitively. Yeah. What you have is this is is glo- the beginnings of globalization essentially. Mm. People are starting to travel more around and bringing stuff so um, there's a guy called Thibault Bauer who is massive in France and is the world champion Greco-Roman wrestler who then was the first ever person to compete as a masked wrestler as well when he decided he wanted to move to freestyle wrestling. Mm-hmm. This is a whole world of freaking confusion (laughs) which is that currently there are like three main types of wrestling you have greco-roman wrestling which is like continental in northern europe Mm -hmm. is what they like and that has all of the that has quite strict rules and it's like no touching below the belt and stuff Mm -hmm. then you have freestyle wrestling which is british and american and that is where catch as catch can kind of comes from which has lots more like freedom which is why it's called freestyle i feel like my only understanding that comes from every so often in some american tv show there'll be a high school kid or a college kid who does wrestling and yes you see a little bit of them doing that or fox catcher you ever see fox catcher i did not see fox catcher it's absolutely fine <laughs> but yeah that that's that so you can wriggle around on the floor and grab each other's legs which you can't do in greco-roman wrestling mm-hmm. Um, and then you have um, pro wrestling, 
which we will come to. <laughs> there's also, I discovered, like there's a whole history of when all of these things were included in the Olympics and it used to be just Greco-Roman wrestling and then in 1904 they included freestyle wrestling because the Olympics was held in St. Louis that year and so the Americans added it because they didn't have anyone who could compete in Greco-Roman wrestling so they just mm-hmm. put in freestyle wrestling then only entered Americans. Yeah, and then... Like on and off, kind of both were held, and sometimes it was only Greco Roman and sometimes it was both. But then in 1912, they decided for no reason that I can possibly understand to include Icelandic wrestling. Um, sure. And Icelandic wrestling is held in the open air and has no time limit. Okay. <laughs> so one of the matches, the semi final match between Alfred Johan Askianen from Finland and Martin Klein from Russia went on for 11 hours and 40 minutes. That is too long to be wrestling. <laughs> it is. I hope they stopped for some orange slices at least. <laughs> and eventually Martin Klein won, but it did take nearly 12 hours to get there, which Jeez. was presumably not very exciting. <laughs> no. Um, and that was the one and only time that Icelandic wrestling was included because they pretty much killed them. Like, just, no, yeah. everyone's like, oh, we can't have this. This is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Like, it's supposed to be at least a bit fun to watch. I think at this point in time as well, and I, I, don't, I can't imagine this was true of the um, Olympics, but there were a lot of rumours, and I find this interesting, a lot of rumours about the sport's validity and suspicion, I guess, around it. Mm. And whether or not it was a legitimate competitive sport, because I, I because I guess it had come out of this exhibitionist history, and there are wrestlers who talked about it being like through the eighteen eighties onward being largely faked, being worked, yeah, so having yeah. storylines, yes, which is so it, it is very much at this point that it starts splitting off into openly faked and a competitive sport. Yeah, well, there's a, like yeah. So that's basically when you get this split between. Freestyle. Yeah, I shouldn't say fake because it's not like it's fake. It's not it's fake, v- Everything no. they do is very real, but choreographed just and written and planned, scripted. Yes, yeah. and so you basically get in the early nineteenth century, which then culminates in the story of these three specific guys who changed wrestling into what it is today basically um in the 1920s uh, they're called the gold dust trio mm-hmm. which is kind of what they named themselves because there's a book written in the 1930s about them which is called the fall guys but which is believed to have been very heavily vetted by one of the guys that it's about his name is toots Mont. great name yeah so there's this you get this this split where there is a movement towards ramping up those elements of theater and storyline mm. through the gold dust trio and then the move towards make the it being freestyle being a legitimate sport yeah um and it having very specific rules and federations and things but the 1920s are when the gold dust trio says so three of them there's joseph tootsmont who is like the main man in this mm-hmm. um another wrestler he's a wrestler another wrestler called ed strangler lewis cool sure and an- sure that name's not suspicious <laughs> at all and an ex-wrestler who is now Ed Strangler-Lewis's manager called Billy Sandow. Mm-hmm. So Billy and Strangler are kind of run-of-the-mill, sideshow, travelling, strongman wrestlers. They, you know, they do their thing, but they hire Toots, Tootsmont, mm-hmm. to be a kind of a, a full guy, essentially. Right. Like, he's going to be a guy who's going to keep people in line. So when people are lining up to to fight Strangler Lewis. Mm-hmm. He's the guy who makes sure that nobody is going for the like the eyeballs or the testicles. Sure. Um, and he beats people up if they do. And he also will, like, if there's nobody, like, he will be... Because what they would do is they would have, like, a... They wouldn't just start, show up and stand there. They would show up and wrestle with, like, a partner mm-hmm. and do a kind of show match and then go, come on, else who else wants to have a go? Right. So he was the guy who would get wrestled to the ground first mm-hmm. and then was kind of, but he had very good ideas, basically. He thought that wrestling as it was then, which is the catch as can, whatever, um, <laughs> wrestling was too boring mm-hmm. because 
even though it was faster than freestyle wrestling, even though it was a bit more theatrical, it was not still wasn't theatre itself. It was still yeah. just two men fighting. And if you didn't get somebody down in the first 10 seconds, it, there was still quite a lot of holding them down on the ground. <laughs> and just and sort of at each other. And exactly. Yeah. And 90% of the people that you are fighting are people who are just randos, like Joe Bloggs off the street who don't know what they're doing and their legs are everywhere. And mm-hmm. it's like... So he developed what he called slam bang western style wrestling mm-hmm. which introduced things like body slams and like more dramatic looking moves that were there primarily for drama between the two of them so they would practice doing dramatic moves rather than doing effective moves if you mm-hmm. know what i mean yeah so the like you know, the kind of thing that you see now where they lift them up really high and then slam them down very hard. Yes. But they're prepared for it so they know how to fall, right? Yeah. And it looks super cool, but no one's actually getting injured. Yeah. So they started developing that kind of thing. So they weren't just doing a wrestle where one of them would lose. They were doing properly dramatic, like choreographed. Really showy choreographed But more, stuff. even more importantly, he started inventing things like count outs. So where they would hold them down and then do the big one, two, <laughs> three, and scripted entrances and closes to add a sense of narrative to it. So mm-hmm. a big scripted kind of roll up, roll up. Yeah. And then a big close out of like, come back tomorrow, see what's going to happen. Who's going to have to, is he going to get his revenge? Which is then obviously leads to the development of characters with ongoing histories and nemeses. But specifically that is developed by Joseph Mont and Billy Sandow. So the two of them then create the first ever traveling pro wrestling promotion company Mm -hmm. where they scout talent because there's a lot of other wrestlers around obviously yeah and um, they so they start scouting for people to bring in and get them to sign exclusive contracts mm-hmm. which means that then they have the same stable playing every night mm-hmm. which means they can have storylines that is so cool Yes, and so they can then take those storylines from place to place. So instead of you turning up to a thing and not knowing whether you're going to see, like, a weedy man get kicked or, <laughs> a co- like, two men wrestling yeah. for ages that just is still going on and it's getting a bit uncomfortable, like, you start to learn that you are going to see someone who's going to hype you up, you're going to see a cool fight between two people who know what they're doing, mm-hmm. and they can then take that and show the exact same thing yeah. the next night in Cincinnati and then they can go to Minneapolis and do the exact same thing. I don't know if those two things are close. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I've just said you can travel a million miles. <laughs> so they, like specifically these two people, primarily Joseph Mont, develop that. Mm-hmm. And then through that comes up Vince McMahon Sr. Uh-huh. Which is a name that is recognisable to anybody who is on the internet, presumably. (laughs) Uh, So they start, Sandow and Mont and a couple of other people start the original Pan-American World like Wrestling Federation, which is not called the WWF at the time. It's called the CWF, I think. But I can't remember what C stands for. Continental Wrestling Federation, something like that. Yeah, something like that. They then have this massive falling out with the other guys who are in this because basically Mont doesn't want the guy that they have chosen to be like the great victor of that year Mm -hmm. to hold on to the title. He wants it to go to somebody else. Sure. So they have this great falling out and he walks with his talent and Vince McMahon Sr. And the two of them start the WWF in 1963. Wow. Which is now run, obviously, by Vince McMahon Sr.'s children and grandchildren. Yeah. They they went well. And it just grows and grows. And it's the same structure of grand entrance, a theatrical storyline, and you're going to come back again and see it. And now they don't have to travel around with it because TV exists by 1963. Yeah. (laughs) And it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger from there. But he, that one guy with his like, we could make combination. This fun. <laughs> yeah, basically, like having that very unique combination of P.T. Barnum esque understanding of <laughs> how to make this how to make this exciting. Yeah, 
and how to make this exciting for viewers repeatedly yeah and to control it while making it fun yeah. and look not uncontrolled but look cool yeah <laughs> basically really really very impressive <laughs> yeah and then money comes basically because it's yeah. very important the other thing that is like it, the the side of gambling is very important to the growth of wrestling as as it is now as not a sport but as a mm. performance art like i read a thesis actually someone's phd thesis about a lot of wrestlers would bet on themselves <laughs> sure <laughs> and then bet uh, and bet on each other and then you have obviously we're talking up to the 1920s so we are talking about illegal gambling and illegal when you know the mob ran everything yeah and a lot of that developed into also driving the idea of of what are called worked matches yeah so matches where the two of them have come together to agree that this will happen and then this will happen which is like we 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 find we've really got to define whether you're doing acknowledged worked matches or whether you are fixing your matches so that you can win yeah. money and this is very much before before that was a particularly clear line because <laughs> there is this period where there were where there's people like john McMoen is like the great american wrestler of the 1880s 1870s mm. who was wrestling did sideshow wrestling and then came up through competition so he was the american champion and then he built beat Tibbled Bauer to become the world champion. And it's also when there's this cultural thing going on where across a lot of mediums, marketers are trying to find American heroes, right? Because this is yes. after World War One, it's leading up to World War Two. The idea of uh, of a great American he- like individual hero. I mean, this is why we have comic books. This is why, like, this is where a lot of that comes from, and it plays it comes across the sports as well, especially if the sport is becoming very dramatised and theatrical. And especially when that sport is centred and is 100% men at this time. Mm-hmm. Like, there, female wrestling does not become a thing until the 20th century. And, like, sideshow wrestling is 100% male. Folk wrestling is 100% male. Yeah. Ancient wrestling is 100% male. Yeah. Like, it is... Do you know when wrestling was... Freestyle wrestling for women was introduced to the Olympics. Oh, I'm gonna hate this, aren't I? Oh yes, yeah, two thousand four. Oh, I know, right? So it is like such a male space until really WWE is the space where women come through, like ludicrously. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It, it is that wrestling which gives women a space to be in wrestling. There are the odd, much like the Romans would occasionally have like a female gladiator and it might say that excited men, there would occasionally be like a women's championship wrestling match as a piece of excitement. So and in there 18- were, um, there were in the Victorian era, there were female strong, like, there were strong women. Yeah. Also. There was one in, um, which I quite like in 1891, where the inexplicably the National Police Gazette sponsored a wrestling championship in New York. Mm hmm. Um, but they made the women shave their heads so that they wouldn't pull each other's hair and force them to wear tights um, so nobody could see an ankle. So there were women like Alice Williams and Sadie Morgan who fought in those two, and there was the odd woman, but they did not were not part of the kind of cultural conversation of what wrestling was until wrestling became televised performance art. Um, and even then... It's been an it's uphill quite, battle. <laughs> it's been an uphill battle, and... Because the sport is so much about masculine qualities, quote-unquote coded masculine qualities of control and strength and shiny skin. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, like, from the most ancient times, it's all about, you know, getting your opponent into one specific position or snapping their arm off, which are these qualities of, like, idealised masculinity... Yeah. And so that is like ideal for post-war, even like pre-war, like 19th century America, where they're looking for these heroes to define Americanness. Yeah. And what's um, interesting is that I feel like across, because obviously we've talked, we've talked a lot about 
um, modern wrestling in the West, but there is uh, there are still traditions all over the place. Like I said earlier, this uh, Turkish oil wrestling has been happening for hundreds and hundreds of years and still goes on. They have specific rules about the type of leather pants that you wear when you do it. And you- Turkish oil wrestling is amazing because the aim is to get your hands down the other person's trousers and then <laughs> get the whole get get your hand down the trousers properly and put your arm right through it so you have to try to really get your hand down those trousers mm-hmm. while your other person is oiled up yeah all, all um. covered in olive oil and there's also obviously lucha libre which is a 20th century yes. mexican tradition i that i actually thought i had assumed that lucha libre wrestling was way older than it is um but no that no. kind of developed concurrently with modern it did, and again, that's part of that kind of the the way that this developed in the nineteenth and twentieth century as the world became more global, mm-hmm. which is again European folk wrestling came over, and Europeans were going yeah. into South and Central America as well, and, and um, sort of the folk hero nature of that was is really significant in Mexican wrestling, even though that is only developed over the last hundred years or so, which I find really interesting, like these bands of luchadors who can defend towns from yeah evildoers it's really cool it is yeah. and that has that kind of element of, of of artistic performance as well through the creation of character and the, yeah. cre- the masking Absolutely. and and now you have these two very divided things of wrestling which is pro wrestling which is that performance and character and acting and um and and things like that, which for a long time was pretending that it wasn't performed, which I find really interesting because I love it when things are pretending that things aren't what they are. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's not until 1989 that Vince McMahon admitted in court that it was entertainment, not competitive sport, as in the outcome was known before they went in. Mm. <laughs> but before that, they were absolutely adamant that it was it was sport rather than art yeah i distinctly remember there's a louis theroux which must be from the late 90s or possibly early 2000s um where he goes to a professional wrestling like boot camp thing Mm -hmm. training thing and he says the word fake to them and they make him do push-ups until he throws up Because I think that fake implies that they're not doing what they're doing. Yes, and they are. And I'm sorry, I said, they I said fake a couple of times earlier, and I am. I feel really bad about it. It is not fake. It is performance, and that's yeah. Those and are two different things. Really physical type of performance, which involves a huge amount of strength and athleticism and, and agility, risk. and is like somewhere, but be- yeah, and it's like between dance and fighting because so much of it has to be about like the the muscle control of falling right, yeah, and like holding yourself in the right position but it is a, a soap opera yeah purely by coincidence before we started doing this like the other day i was reading subreddit drama because mm-hmm. sure. uh, <laughs> i love subreddit drama and there was a big thing on there about wwe and this basically the reason they came up was because somebody was having a massive argument about whether one of the current female wrestlers is the first ever lesbian and whether it was canonical that her character was gay. <laughs> and she, this person was really arguing that they weren't. And the other people were saying, like, that she was. Anyway, but, like, half of these comments were going off into these such complicated storylines of, like... <laughs> and then in 2000, you know, 2019, in X, Y, Z match, this, this happened and so-and-so did this and then... But that's related to da-da-da-da-da. And I was like, fucking hell, how do you keep track of this? And it's like soap opera. yeah. And like the, I'm just so, I find it fascinating because it is like people are writing this. There are writers creating storylines. Did you know that um, Freddie Prince Jr. writes wrestling? No, he doesn't. Is that true? He was on some podcast, which I only listened to because I saw a clip of it where he was getting sarky about people being assholes about Star Wars. And he was pulling rank as someone who has been in a Star War because he was in a, like, he does a lot of yeah. voice acting and they did um, some voice acting in one of the series. So he was like kind of defining the force for nerds who are angry about 
where Star Wars had gone. And so I listened to the whole podcast, but most of what he talks about on it was um, his career writing and help and, and also teaching acting. Uh, in Amazing. I can't remember. It's WWE. It's E. It's one of the very, very, very big yeah. pro wrestling things. And it's really interesting. And I think, because I think there is still a conflict, even though it is openly acknowledged now that it is performance not a competitive sport. I think that you could, there's a lot that you could explore about the determination of people within it, whether they're fans or like, or they work within the industry um, to kind of embrace the idea that art is okay. That isn't because I feel that there is still a, um, a kind of a taboo there like it's not sufficiently masculine to make art it's not it's not <laughs> yes, masculine it to be an actor and to care about story but that is what is important here and where did you pick up where do people pick up the ideas that admitting that it is story and that it is art makes it lesser than if it is competition you know it's interesting it is interesting it is interesting yeah. and but you know it's cool. Yeah, wrestling is cool because he tells this, tells this whole story about how he was he was holding action classes and no one would come and he had to like convince one Aww. one person that it was worth it and then everyone saw that person get better Aww. and they all started coming along. All these That's... all these men with their fragile ego. It was it's beautiful. They made me feel sad for Freddie Prince Jr. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm, I'm, it hadn't occurred to me actually until literally this minute how cool a job writing for wrestling must be. Yeah. It's like, like big, bombastic stories big, about... proper melodrama yeah, that you get to write. Real uh, villains and, yeah, it's very cool. And then, then you don't have to write dialogue, presumably they just do that themselves. Yeah. So it's a win-win. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that answers the question? I think that answers most of the question. I mean, like, there is a loads, loads more than we've said, particularly in other cultures, but yeah. Oh, there's tons. There's so much. It's like I started researching and I kind of got a bit overwhelmed and had to sit down for a while before I kept going <laughs> because it was, there was a lot. Same, same, especially as it's now because, I don't know, like six, seven years ago or something, I feel like wrestling really took off again. Yeah. Like it was massive in the 90s. And then it kind of went away in the discourse for a while. Mm-hmm. And and then it, for a few, it seems to have calmed down a bit now. But for at least a couple of years there, I it was impossible to keep my Twitter clean of it. Yeah. Because everyone will happily hashtag their tweets about it, but there's no consistent hashtag. No. Because every freaking fight, which is always at like 2am, so you wake up to it, is has a different hashtag. And yeah. you think that you can clean your... But it's like football, you can't get rid of it. Yeah, you can't. No one will use a specific wrestling hashtag so you can make it go away. No, it's it's sad. You can't, there's nothing to mute because there's too much. There's too much unless you want to, no, it's just not even possible because yeah. people will just randomly hash, like do scream yes or goal or whatever. And you're like, I can't. Yeah, can't wrestling and football, words. you can't clean, you can't get them off the timeline. You can't get rid of them. It's a nightmare. It's a terrible. Um, what are uh, we talking about next time? <laughs> Next time, we're maintaining our run of only talking about fun things. Yep. We're going to hold our grim questions uh, for, for the time being, which means actually we want we do need more fun questions because yeah. we don't what we don't want is to get through this time of trial and have only grim questions left <laughs> because we've done all the fun ones. Um, we still want to be able to, to once we are... Once we feel the time is right to return to some grim history, we do still want to have fun ones interspersed within it um, yeah so send us some fun I, questions <laughs> yeah basically send us fun questions because at the moment both of us are very much in a place where we don't want to be dealing with like either pandemics or death or horridness yeah but the next question is uh, from luke who ages and ages ago emailed us like seven questions and we've been working through them every so often basically i just go back to them on a random basis <laughs> So thank you, Luke. So this is one of the questions that he sent us. And he says, how long has the idea of extraterrestrial beings existed and where did it originate? So we're going to talk about the history of UFOs and aliens and the ideas of aliens coming to Earth and things like that. Yeah. Which is fun. That is fun. If you have a fun question for us, you can tweet it at us at sexyhistorypod. Yeah. 
And you can email it to us at um, sexyhistorypod at gmail.com. Or you can ask us on Facebook, which we sometimes remember to check at sexyhistorypod because Facebook approves. No E in sexy. Or you can go to our Kofi page, which is um, kofi.com slash HISpod or bit.ly slash support sexy history. Both of those will take you to the same place. And thank you to everybody who occasionally buys coffee. My mum bought us coffee. Thank you very much, mum. Oh, thanks, Seamus, mum. <laughs> she also texted me a question, so it's on the list. Excellent. I'm just trying to decide whether being my mum gets you bumped up the list or not. I think probably. Yeah, probably. What's the point of being someone's mum if not to get bumped up a couple of lists in your life, you know? She did have to raise me and I was horrible, so... (laughs) There's got to be some some reward for raising a child. I know, and particularly, I mean, that's what I was like when I was 17 and I was on holiday in Olympia, so you can imagine what I was like on a day-to-day basis. (laughs) (laughs) Amazed she didn't smother me, but... Yeah, so all those things. You can follow us. I am at Nuclear Teeth. And I am at J9 and If. And Oliver, excellent Oliver, is at Kiwa. I think that's all the places. Are there any other places? I hope not. If there are, we've forgotten, so we won't check them. So we'll see your question. I will put all of the sources and pictures and things that I have mentioned from this and some like men, massively wide men in big pants on the Kofi page. Which is where I put all of the sources. So if you ever want to read more about anything we've talked about or see anything or listen to a musical that Janina has mentioned, then I put them all there. Mm-hmm. All the mini musicals. All many musicals. <laughs> uh, every so often, just as a surprise. Yeah. Get one. Why not? We did, that. we did a whole episode on musicals. We did do a whole episode of musicals. I think that's it. I think it's time for dinner. It's absolutely time for dinner. Yeah. Bye, Janina. Bye.